Blog Talk Radio. fellow constitutionalists welcome to the thursday edition of the dan clement show a christian political talk show this is uh episode 800 or 918 excuse me if you're following the episodes i'm dan clement your host i'm getting this all backwards folks <laughs> i was all mixed up or for some reason i did the episodes there and i do apologize for this i am dan clement's your host of the Dan Clements Show, your constitutional warrior, fighting for your right just to be an American. It is November 2nd in the year of war 2017. Remember, we're hyphen free, PC free zone, God is still in control and he does love you. And I'm broadcasting live from the Hemlock Studios here in the beautiful, chilly central Susquehanna Valley in the great Keystone State. Let me get over here and turn off my preview players. Okay. Some reason now, this is a tech note for those are, that are live broadcasting and setting up events and live broadcasting. For some reason now, YouTube wants you to start up your preview video in the, you'll know what I'm talking about if you do this, before you allowed it to start to hit your live streaming button. I've had to do that all week for some reason, so uh, I guess it's something they've changed. I don't think it's anything with my browser or anything like that, so... Uh, let me get a sip of coffee here. I think I had a frog in my throat there when we started. Hmm. <clears throat> I guess I should go through some voice exercises, you know, uh, <clears throat> to warm up my voice a little bit. Uh, get the frogs out of my throat. <laughs> Today on the show, we're going to be talking about capitalism versus, versus Marxism and freedom versus tyranny. This is something... With the, with the New York City uh, truck attack, uh, this is something that is on the hearts and minds of a lot of people. I won't say the vast majority of Americans because there is a huge, almost 50% of Americans have bought into the lie uh, about uh, Islam and about Muslims, especially radicalized Muslims coming from these other countries, allowing them to come into our country and we're just, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're just uh, live in unfortunate circumstances back in their country, so we'll allow them to come in our country without extreme vetting them, and we see what happens here. And, and honestly, folks, <laughs> unless these men put on airs at home and put a different face on around their wives at home, 
my wife pretty much knows what I'm thinking, pretty much knows what I'm doing. Uh, even, even sometimes when, when uh, I'm trying to surprise her or I just forget to tell her about something, she knows because of my nature that I'm not getting into trouble. I'm not going out and cr trying to create mischief or anything like that. You can't tell me that these wives of these lone wolf terrorists don't know what their husbands are doing or don't know what their husbands are planning. You know, I, I just, I, I don't buy that, especially here in the United States. I don't buy that. You know, matter of fact, I don't even buy it over, you know, overseas. And uh, so this morning, uh, I don't have anything up, up for you show on the, on the websites or anything. Uh, but a couple of things are going on this morning with this. Uh, the White House uh, is really contemplating, they are talking about this yesterday, they haven't ruled out putting Uzbekistan on the travel ban list. Now, I, I, honestly, I think Donald Trump and the White House need to check with some of the judges across the country, especially the federal judge over in Hawaii, before he does this. Make sure it's okay with them uh, that we put Uzbekistan on the travel ban list. You know, because this guy did come from Uzbekistan, and Uzbekistan, you know, according to other intelligence agencies besides ours, has been a hotbed for ISIS recruitment and radicalization. Uh, to me, I think it's common sense to put them on the travel ban. You know what the other common sense would be, uh, thing to be, would, and this is easy to do, go back over all the visas that, are, that have been issued for folks out of uh, Uzbekistan, and I'm going to call it UBEC, uh, out of UBEC and, and start investigating them. You know, vet them now that they're here, you know, to make sure we didn't let any bad people in. Honestly, folks, <laughs> Democrats, social Democrats, progressives, leftists that are in the Democrat Party and elsewhere, uh, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, those type of groups there, they want, I'm convinced of this, they want to destroy the American culture. They want to destroy America as we know it now. They want to destroy it. And they say they're not about control. Uh, I was listening to, we talked about it a little bit yesterday. I went back and listened to some more of the videos that he's doing. I, I, I tried to look to see if he had a, a blog post somewhere, and I couldn't find it. The uh, Bronx blogger, okay? He was on Dr. Christy Winters. They had a, a hangout, and, uh, and uh, they broadcasted it on YouTube. And this guy, he's a skeptic. I don't want to get too much into him, but he's a skeptic and everything like that. Uh, but he called himself a, uh, uh, a communist, but he, I'm not like the rest of the communists out there. I, mean, I put a comment, oh, really? I said, you want everybody to be equal, right? And I never got a comment back from these folks. Honestly, I don't even know. I think Christie does, but I don't even know if their guests actually look at the comments to, to answer them. Of course, he claimed to be... Uh, this, you know, a very smart person, so maybe he doesn't feel like he needs to answer uh, for his policy stances or, or his ideas. But I asked him, I said, show me a, a communist in the history of communism in the world, uh, a communist society that didn't go into barbarism. You know, there's no such thing. And I did, I did on a different feed, I did talk about this uh, on a different issue 
uh, but got into this uh, um, on a different issue. And the person, you know, I said, I said, how in the world can you make everybody equal without using force? Because not everybody, folks, not everybody is going to want to give up their, their hard work for personal possessions just to be equal with every, everybody else, just to be dragged down to somebody else's level. They're not going to do it voluntarily. So guess what? There has to be force used. That's not compassionate communism. There's no such thing as compassionate communism. And these guys claim to be the smartest person in the room. Well, maybe because of between him and, and Dr. Christy Winters, yeah. But if he's talking about everybody that was commenting and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I think Don, uh, President Trump is going to put Uzbekistan on the travel ban list. I was looking this morning, didn't see that yet. Uh, the application period for the next diversity visa lottery is open now. And it's like they need to put a kibosh on this Complete. They need to go through the State Department and issue through the State Department right now to suspend the lottery, the visa lottery thing, and, and throw it back at Congress. Make them do the hard work. Make them fix this. It was Congress that started it. I was listening to some videos yesterday. They said Congress, you know, well, Congress uh, 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 took this out. You know, they, they took this away, and they have it. I looked up, it was a video, and I looked up yesterday, and, and they haven't done so. <laughs> Dave says there's a Z. Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan. <laughs> They're one of the stands over there, so we're just going to call them Ooze. <laughs> Thanks, Dave, for that correction there. Um, anyway, so the, the Trump administration needs to step in and stop this uh, diversity Visa lottery, and this is something I didn't even know about this until yesterday. I bet you the vast majority of, of politicals out there really didn't know about this unless you were involved with it when it was first introduced by uh, then Representative Chuck Schumer of New York in 1990. It's been going on for quite a quite a long time. You know, it's been going on for almost 30 years. How many how many bad actors have been let into the United States and not been vetted? And again, because of all the actions of these anti-freedom folks, if you are in this anti-freedom crowd, don't care if you're on the left or right, it just points to them wanting to destroy the American culture. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind that you're trying to destroy the American culture. Uh, I, have others, I have another article in here about congressional Democrats file briefing opposing bakers and gay wedding cake case. So basically what they're doing, uh, they're, they're filing an amicus brief uh, at the Supreme Court. And anybody can do it. I can do it. Dave could do it. If, if we wanted to take the time, we could file an amicus brief at the Supreme Court in support or in, um, or in defiance of. You know, you don't, you don't want it or you do want it. Uh, this wedding cake case. And again, here's another thing. We've talked about this on the show where anti-freedom folks will take an issue that is counterculture or countercultural to the rest of the culture in the country. Now we're only talking, let's you know, gays, lesbians, uh, transgenders, you know, whatever LGBTQ community out there. 
you're only talking between 3 and 4%, and it's closer to 3% than it is 4% of the United States population that actually identifies. So they take this very small group that they, seem, they see as oppressed, and they try to make it mainstream. And we can see that in our, our uh, sitcoms, our nightly sitcoms. Uh, Star Trek has gotten in on it. Uh, Star Trek Discovery, the chief engineer, uh, is gay and he's living with one of the doctors on board the ship. I mean, they're, they're, uh, there's other TV shows out there. Uh, Will and Grace are bringing back, you know, and uh, they're just shoving it in our face. And here it's only three to less than four percent, closer to three percent of the population identifies. But they're using this issue. Anti-freedom folks are using this issue to tear at and tear apart the American culture because they don't believe that we sh that there is an American culture that needs to be nurtured and protected. And I've asked, <laughs> I've asked a lot of people on social media, what do you want put? What do you want to put in place of? The American culture that we've had. And all I get is just sound bites and talking points out of this narrative echo chamber that they live in. They don't have any real answers and they don't realize that if they let the <laughs> lunatics run the asylum, that sometimes them lunatics, if you let them loose, will turn around and destroy you. This happened, and I have an article we're going to go over because the main point of the show here, I want to talk about capitalism versus Marxism and freedom versus tyranny. And there's, uh, I have a good article here by Richard M. Uh, Ebeling over at uh, Foundation for Economic Education. Uh, what is capitalism anyway? And you hear me talk about this a lot on the show. He brings out some very good points here. I have another article by John uh, Miltimore over at FEE.org. Uh, five things Marx wanted to abolish besides private property. And then I have um, two more articles. One, The Staggering Toll of the Russian Revolution by uh, Yuri N. Maltesev over at FEE.org. And then finally, I have another one if we get time to get into it. There's a new study out. Uh, this was posted yesterday by Rachel uh, Fromer over at uh, thefreebeacon.com. Support for free speech is eroding. And now this has a lot to do with what's happening on college campuses. This has a lot to do with um, anti-freedom folks redefining words or trying to say that because I disagree with what you're saying, that's hate speech and that should be banned. Very, very subjective. And oh. If you want to light up a social justice tyrant, just mention to them that what they're talking about, now make sure you're, tell, you're telling the truth uh, about it, but, but tell them what they're talking about or their ideas that they're putting forth are very subjective. There's, there's no objective truth, facts, or morality based in their opinions. And see what happens. They, <laughs> that'll light them up as, as the... I was using a comment that was made by the police in New York City that they they lit up the, the perpetrator of the pickup truck attack in New York City, and the guy's living in a hospital room now. Uh, don't really think you lit him up. That's not what I would think, especially when you have armed policemen, when you're talking about lighting somebody up. I don't think if you actually lit somebody up, he'd make it to or she'd make it to a hospital room. 
where they're recovering right now. And I guess he's asking, I was on Twitter watching, I guess this guy's asking about, you know, he wants an Islamic flag, an ISIS flag in his room. Um, we are seeing the full onslaught of an ideology that wants to destroy what is America, what makes America great. Now, does America have some flaws? I'm not sitting here going to blow smoke up your skirt and tell you that America doesn't have some things they need to work on. Uh, we absolutely do. Uh, we, I, I'm, I'm sorry. One of the biggest issues that, that's a, a bone with me is abortion. And how these people can think that that baby in the womb who, and, and, and let me... Not that I'm redefining anything, but let me add a caveat onto my life begins at conception. Because, and I'll tell you why. Because my wife had two tubal pregnancies. Okay? That baby lodged in the fallopian tube cannot survive. Matter of fact, it'll kill, it'll kill the wife in most cases if it's left to go. If it's left to go. It'll rupture, and it, it could kill if you don't get to the doctor or the hospital in time. So uh, uh, an embryo cannot grow in a fallopian tube. But once that egg is fertilized and it is embedded in the uterus wall, and that doesn't take very long. I'm, I was reading some articles in that. We're talking, uh, we're talking minutes uh, inside of, you know, once the, the egg is fertilized, we're talking minutes for that egg to travel down and uh, get out of the fallopian tube and go and, and attach itself to the wall once it's been fertilized. And I just want to put that caveat on there, that, that embryo has to be in the right place. Because they come up with these arguments about to have these fertilized embryos in a um, um, hospital setting, in a fertility clinic, and you got a thousand of them versus a five-year-old child, and, a, and the place is on fire, and, and what do you pick, the, the child or, or the thousand embryos? Well, to me, that's a no-brainer. You, you, you take the child because the child is alive. Those embryos aren't alive yet because, again, they have to be implanted. There has to be some place where they can, where they can grow and get the nutrients they need. Just because the egg's fertilized does not mean it's, it's alive. And, and like I said, I want to just put that caveat on the end of that, that once the egg's fertilized and it goes down, and it happens very quickly, and it, and, and it attaches to the, the womb and starts growing, starts splitting, that's when life begins, folks. And that's, to me, that's a hard, that's a hard stop. You know, because a lot of people will go, well, you know, nothing in the third trimester, you can't abort after the third trimester or after 20 weeks. So they, they put these arbitrary limits on and they are they're subjective and they're arbitrary but if we can go back and say once the eggs fertilized and attached to the womb wall as soon as it attaches boom it's got a solid attachment and starts getting nutrients from the mother it's growing that's life that's a that's a hard stop you know but they're trying to destroy the country over this you know and, and they're trying to destroy folks like me and dave and other folks that hold a uh, a, a godly worldview that, that we want to protect the sanctity of life. Whether it's in the womb or at the end of somebody's life. 
you know, I was uh, I, I just glanced at an article over at uh, uh, public uh, over at public discourse over at the Witherspoon site, and they were talking about this that doctors should not be involved in uh, euthanasia because of their oath that they take to do no harm. You know, and, and you have to really do some mental gymnastics to get to the point where you're not doing any harm by killing somebody. You know, there's a lot of intellectual gym, gymnastics you got to go through. So there's a big, there's a big divide here in America today, and I do believe there's a, there's a lot of folks out there that have an inkling of what is right and what's wrong. I, I really do. Matter of fact, I think there's some in the anti-freedom groups out there that they know what's right or wrong for themselves, but they don't operate on that level. They operate on a group or mob think level where, you know, if if black people, and this, this is just an example, if black people were, were oppressed in the United States through slavery, and they were, I'm not denying that, then forevermore are black people in an oppressed group. And we have to treat them as victims and as oppressed. And it's like, I don't know how they get to that. I don't know how they, I don't know how they get to, okay, the, the, the slaves are emancipated, we put some amendments in the Constitution to, to make them citizens, the whole nine yards. To me, that's the end of the story. Now, was were there some oppression still going on after that with Jim Crow and, and, and the KKK and stuff like that? Absolutely. But not the, 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 the whole of the black community was not being suppressed or not being victimized. There were pockets throughout the United States where they, they absolutely were not. Now I'm not saying they, you know, I'm not saying we should, you know, shouldn't help fellow, fellow folks exercise. They had the rights, but they, but they were, their exercising of their rights were suppressed. So we, we should absolutely help those that are within our sphere of influence or the sphere of influence of a friend or something like that. But for me to extrap, extrapolate out to a whole population, victimhood and oppression. When, when maybe only a small portion of them still suffer from that and try to try to create laws and, and policy, bureaucratic policies based on that, I think is foolish and short-sighted. I really do. And it, it, it only serves to divide the United States. It's just like this whole brouhaha about, uh, and this was in this uh, video I was watching for Christy Winters and the, and the Bronx Blogger, uh, they were talking about the white supremacists. Oh, how Donald Trump's a white supremacist and how he enables them and stuff. Well, if if that were true, if we take that at face value and that's true, he's doing a very poor job of it because the white supremacists haven't really gained any membership and their ideas are very marginalized, especially when they're allowed to speak and, and right-thinking folks like me can listen to them and say, well, that's... That's not right. What they're saying, that's not right. You know, we got to stand up against that. But again, we're talking about, as far as white supremacy, it's even less a percentage of the population than the LGBTQ community. It's like between 1% and 2%. And, and some people even have it less than 1% of the population of the United States that believe or practice white supremacy. So it's like... They're taking a small problem in the United States and blowing it up and trying to blame everybody for everything. You know, oh, if you're a white, privileged male, you must be a white supremacist. 
And that's the way, and, and I've actually heard people on YouTube actually say that and talk about that. I, I really, really have. So we're going to go over this real quick. I, I said my piece about everything else. Uh, we're going to go over and we're going to talk about what capitalism is, and then we're going to talk about Marxism and the Russian Revolution and get to all those uh, really, really quick there. Um, let me get down here. Do you have or do you want a web presence? Well, I got the, I got the perfect hosting folks for you, and it's where I have the Dan Clement Show uh, hosted. Matter of fact, we're setting up as we speak. They are migrating my podcast from Blog Talk Radio over to uh, Seriously Simple Podcasting, uh, which is an which is a uh, they have a WordPress plugin. Uh, it took me less than ten minutes to sign up for the service to uh, install the plugin, install a couple of the extensions to the plugin, and upload my first podcast within about 10, 15 minutes, 15 at the most. While I was doing that, I, I got an email thanking me for signing up, and then I got an email, it was in my box this morning, asking me for the particulars so they can migrate my podcast over from Blog Talk Radio. And folks, everything's, everything is clicked right along here. So if you want... To do something on the web, you want a web presence, seriously think about Bluehost. Go to the danclemmonshow.com and click on the widget. And if you do that, you'll get these discounts that only come through the widget and the URL that's on the widget on the danclemmonshow.com. And, and in that, you'll get fantastic web hosting services, and you'll also be supporting my show. Today's Daily Bobbering comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. And he, being Jesus Christ, he delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus, he, by doing everything he did in his life, leading up to and including the crucifixion on the cross, his death, the burial in the garden, and his resurrection, he did that everything so that we may have redemption and forgiveness of sins. That's a whole lot of love going on there, folks. It really is. Today's quote meal comes from A.W. Tozer. We get our moral bearings by looking at God. We must begin with God. We are right when and only when we stand in a right position relative to God. And we are wrong so far and so long as we stand in any other position. So if you want... If you want your moral bearings to be correct and you want to be right with God, you need to be standing where God wants you to stand. Today's short Bible lesson comes from Wes McAdams over at RadicallyChristian.com. And this is a familiar um, lesson sometimes in the Churches of Christ. Uh, Hebrews 10.25, re-examine. Don't forsake the assembly. It's a good article. Uh, I, like I said, I don't think he's radical in his uh, uh, thinking on this, but some people do misquote that. They misquote that quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to repeat what Dave said on there. He just said a little joke there, a retroactive uh, uh, insult there. So, okay, what what is it about capitalism that people don't understand? What is it about Marxism that people don't understand? And, and this, is, this is the one thing. 
this this happened with me way back when. I mean, I'm talking about high school. We actually talked about some of this stuff uh, clear back in high school, and it never made sense to me back then. You know, this communism, socialism, where you know the the uh, from the ability of the many to the you know it's it's taken from those that have and given to those who do not have, uh, so we can uh, make everybody equal. Okay, I'm just setting things up over here on my browser. I didn't get to uh, earlier here today. Um, so, what is it about capitalism uh, that we need to that 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 makes it the best? Not only economic system, although that's what it is, but economic systems actually control what the government does, and a lot of times, and this is why. Again, this is why the anti-freedom folks, the progressives, the social democrats, the, the, the leftist liberals out there, it's why they don't like capitalism because capitalism is not about central control. Matter of fact, the best thing that Donald Trump could do from a governmental standpoint is to go through and deregulate the economy and get the government out of controlling the economy. Right now, if you think about it, and I don't know if I told you this earlier in the week. I, I was trying to get this professor that actually originally came up with this idea of, of participatory fascism. And I finally heard back from him. I emailed him a couple of times. I finally heard back. And he said, you know, he, he didn't want to do the interview. So I have one more person that I'm trying uh, to get from, uh, and, and they're, they're an actual economics teacher. And he talked about the principle in another article that I had, Thomas D. Lorenzo. I'm going to try to get him to come on and talk to us about that because right now that's exactly what we are. We are in we are dealing economically and governmentally in a participatory fascism. Now, a lot of folks that listen to me and a lot of folks out there that follow politics will be abhorred when I say that's what we're working on right now. That's what our our republic has gone into is a participatory fascism. And what is just simply put fascism Fascism is government control of the means of production. Not the government ownership of the means of production, but the government control of the means of production. But guess what happens with fascism? And this is... <laughs> I was driving some people crazy. I think it was uh, the week, about two weeks ago when I brought up this subject. I was on a couple uh, YouTubes commenting in there. And I was driving some people crazy because I said fascism is, is only in degrees different from socialism and communism. Because what happens in fascism, real quick here before we get into this article, what happens in fascism when you take over, not take over, but when you control through legislation and bureaucracies the means of production? What happens if you have some wise cracking entrepreneurs out there that are still getting around the system, you know, finding the loopholes? What, what's the next recourse for the government? Well, the next recourse for the government is to start taking ownership of industries and companies and corporations and stuff like that, businesses. Start taking ownership away. And what does that entail? A lot of times that entails force because people don't want to give up what they've worked and earned legally and uh, without hurting anybody else what they have. They don't want to give up that control. And then socialism, once the government has controls of the means then they have to start taking care of the people. Because 
the people are no longer in control of their destiny, and that's when socialism slips into communism because then they try to make everybody equal. And the funny thing about it is the ones that are trying to make everybody equal aren't allowing themselves to be equal with everybody they're trying to spread this equality to. That's the funny thing about communism. And these, the, the past couple generations behind me don't understand that. They don't understand the force that, that is needed or the threat of force that's needed in fascism, socialism, or communism. And the anti-antifa, anti, the anti-fascists out there will tell you that they are totally different from fascists, and they really aren't. Only, only by degrees are they different than fascists. So when, when people talk about, well, these anti, anti-fascists are actually using fascist tactics to combat fascism, to me, that's an oxymoron. You can't, again, it's like uh, President George W. Bush uh, when the housing market crashed. We need to abandon free market principles to save the free market. And it's like, really? You're kidding me, right? We're having some electrical flashes here. I'm going to warn you right now, if we totally lose electricity, I'm going to have to shut it down and we'll, we'll, I'll redo everything here, just to, just to give you a note here. Okay, let's get into this real quick before, uh, before we do uh, lose everything. Okay. This, my electricity is really, really flashing right now, if you notice in the background. Uh, I'm not losing anything on here or the internet because I do have a battery backup, and I suggest anybody out there that does this to have a battery backup. So I do not know uh, what's going on here. So, like I said, just real quick, if something happens here, uh, I'll, I'm going to... Oh, we lost... Well, you know what? We lost Blog Talk Radio, and so I'm not even going to try to get back up in there. Um, yeah, like I said, I don't know what's happening here uh, with the electricity, so I do, I do apologize for that. I really, really do. Dave, hopefully you're hopefully it hasn't interrupted my stream over Blog Talk Radio or over at not Blog Talk but over at uh, YouTube. Uh, hopefully everything shows everything still streaming. I'm still broadcasting. Maybe not. Hang on a second. Well, I, I am. I, I do have the the audio going on. I am doing the videos up here, so I might have to reload the video. So when when people talk about well, these anti anti fascists are actually okay. I am getting through now. Okay. For some reason, I have limited I have limited uh, access on my main computer, but my other two computers. Uh, oh, okay. There it goes. I, it came back for me. So YouTube is working again. Right, let me turn that off. Uh, Blog Talk Radio dropped off, so I'm not even going to try to get back on there unless unless Dave, you can let me know. Uh, let me know a uh, blog talk radio is still working because the the one thing dropped off and I'm still showing I'm I'm connected. If I'm not, I, like I said, I upload the uh, audio anyway. Okay, let's get over here into the article about fascism. Okay, or uh, about capitalism. What is capitalism anyway? And this is from the Foundation for Economic Education by Robert M. Uh, M. Embling. Uh, and, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's like six pages in a in a word document. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I'm going, to, I'm going to read some key sections in it. One of the leading ideological punching bags for well over 100 years has been the ideas, institutions, and impact of capitalism on society. 
Think of something someone does not like in the world and the guilty party causing it is almost always the same, capitalism. But what is capitalism and what is it not? The words capitalism and capitalist were used in a variety of ways going back several centuries, but it is primarily a 19th century creation by the critics of the market society that was taking on many of its modern forms in the early middle decades of the 1800s. It used, or its use and connotation were meant to convey the idea of a social order under which a few own the physical means of production, the capital of a society, which enabled them to exploit the abuse of such larger majority of their own material and financial advantage. Capitalism as an enemy of human betterment. The most popularized use, no doubt, arose from the writings of Karl Marx and other socialists who were certain that if not, if not for private property and the physical means of production, all of the evils and hardships of humanity could be lifted from mankind's shoulders. Common or collective ownership and use of the means of production would soon eliminate poverty, abolish disparities in income and wealth, and bring about a near post scarcity world in which social classes conflict over possessing things would become a thing of the past. In the second half of the 20th century, however, the existing socialist experiments, which collective ownership and government's, uh, government central planning increasingly showed that all they created were political tyrannies, new status societies are privileged based on party membership or position within the bureaucracy, and general economic stagnation with standards of living far behind those in capitalist countries. So there was, folks, <laughs> I'm going to stop reading here, there, uh, in, in the last century, uh, late 1800s into the 1900s, communism, socialism, and fascism were all tried. And guess what? They were found wanting. They, were, they, were, they turned into tyrannies. Every one of them turned into a tyranny. No matter how well-intentioned an individual is, like the... Like the Bronx blogger, no matter how well-intentioned he is, in order to do what he thinks is right and, and make everybody equal, it has to go into a tyranny. And who runs the tyranny? So what does capitalism mean to a friend of freedom, and what is capitalism? And or what, what is capitalism not? <laughs> so especially in the West, those who have been advocates or apologists for First, the Soviet regime in Russia and then other communist governments around the world changed their tune. Private property did not have to be abolished outright in every corner of society. Private enterprise could continue to deliver the goods, but it needed to be constrained and controlled by spider webs of regulations and restrictions to see that capitalism produced what and where would be best serve the common good. And this, I'm going to stop reading here, this common good, whenever you hear the, this, someone say, I'm doing this for the common good, run. <laughs> run the other direction. I mean, just run. Okay, Dave told me that Blog Talk Radio uh, looks good, but there's no sound. That's because it disconnected, and to me to reconnect in Blog Talk Radio is just not going to work. And besides, I'll let everybody, real quick here, I'll let everybody in on something. Tomorrow's my last live show on Blog Talk Radio. Everything's being migrated right now. Uh, come Monday, I will not be live streaming to Blog Talk Radio. Okay, but let's get into this uh, again. You hear the, the term common good run. I mean, run as fast as you can the other way because it's not for the common good. Rather than the directions into which private businessmen would have guided only by the profit motive, the interventionist state 
had to be accompanied at the same time by the welfare state to assure a less ex exploitive and more egalitarian redistrib redistribution of wealth through the use of the tax system to take from the unfairly richer Peters to give to lower income and more deserving Pauls in society. And there's an article, and I've read this before, there's an article that uh, he wrote in here, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Ebeling wrote, Barack Obama and the Meaning of Socialism. It's a good article. I, I, I encourage you to go read that. In criticizing the market economy, a common tendency has been to refi capitalism as, it, as if it were a living, breathing entity acting on and against society. Hence, capitalism exploits the workers. Capitalism creates poverty. Capitalism destroys the environment. Capitalism is racist. Capitalism discriminates against women. That's what the interventionists want you to believe. But again... There's no truth to the matter of this. The word has so many negative connotations in so many people's minds that some friends of freedom have suggested to stop using the word at all in designating the economic system that proponents of free enterprise defend or to add a softer descriptive word as, as, as it's used. For example, compassionate capitalism or conscious capitalism or democratic capitalism or people's capitalism, or liberal capitalism, or, 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 or. For better or for worse, in my view, the word capitalism is not going to go away, and its opponents will keep hitting over the head all those who defend or define as its defenders. So what does capitalism mean to a friend of freedom? And what is capitalism not? This is key to capitalism here, folks. Private property, personal liberty, and polite society. The bedrock concept behind the explanation of capitalism is private property. That is the idea that an individual has a right of ownership and exclusive use of something. For the classical liberal, the most fundamental property right possessed by an individual is his own property. In other words, an individual owns himself. He may not legally or informally be treated as a slave of another person. The individual has ownership over his mind and body. Neither, neither may be controlled or commanded by another through the use of force or its threat. The benefits of peaceful and mutually accepted relationships offer greater payoffs in the long run than permitting free reign to one's prejudice. This implies that if every human being has such a right of private ownership over him or herself, then all associations and relationships between individual human beings must be based upon voluntary consent and mutual agreement. No person may be forced or defrauded into an exchange, trade, or associated relationship, i.e. healthcare, folks, one of the biggest boondocks, boondoggles that came out of the Obama administration still being pushed by his sycophants out there. Okay, I'm reading on. The classical liberal also believes that if this principle is followed by the community, it tends to create a social setting in which respect and tolerance of others and their choices is more likely to be fostered. Thus, it generates in various ways a more humane society. People have the need uh, for each other's assistance and companionship in sundry ways. If force may not be used and only free consent can serve as the basis of of those connections among human beings, then it behooves individuals to act with courtesy, deference, and imply dignity towards others. In other words, if you don't want to be ostracized, guess what? You're going to have to behave yourself. Okay, not by force, but because you don't want to live by yourself. 
You don't want to live outside the community. Now, if you choose to do so, that's on you. That's up to you. And I don't have the right to say, well, you need to come and be part of this community. You want to go live a, live a hermit's life or something like that? That's fine. You know, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the freedoms that come with capitalism. And, and, and it just it amazes me how many people don't get this. Now, I'll read on. This does not mean that rude, disrespectful, even cruel words and deeds may not happen among people. But it does mean that there are costs to doing so since those treated in, in this manner are less likely to willingly enter into exchanges or other types of relationships with those who treat them in these negative ways. Some might not care and proceed to act in these disrespectful and intolerant ways anyway, but for most people, the benefits of peaceful and mutually acceptable relationships willingly entered into offer greater payoffs in the long run than permitting free reign to one's prejudice. In other words, folks, before the 1964 Civil Rights Act was passed, especially in the Deep South, things were already better. There were small businesses that didn't buy into this whites-only stuff, and they were, they were taking their signs down, and they were allowing whites to sit at their counters and whites to mingle with everybody else. And this was, a, this was a major movement in the South before the Civil Rights Amendment. So things were actually on their own taking care of themselves, as they naturally would take care of themselves. Because right-thinking people are like, why should I let their prejudice... Their, their bigotries dictate how I'm going to treat folks or how I'm going to run my business. And we can bring this right on up. We talked about the, the Democrats uh, uh, filing an amicus brief in the, in the wedding cake case. Again, here we have freedom of association. If I don't want to serve you, I shouldn't have to. But if my not serving you is is causing some societal harm, which it really isn't, then you have the right not to use their services, not to go there and use their services. And you do have the right to say, hey, they didn't serve me, and this is the reasons why they didn't serve me. You don't have a right to lie about it. You don't have a right to lie to somebody about it, but you can say, hey, this cake shop, you can tell your friends in your community, the LGBTQ community that you're a part of, you can tell them, don't go there because they won't make a cake for you. You can go over here to Baker XYZ. They'll bake a cake for you and they'll participate, you know, bring it and set it up and everything, cut it for you, whatever. That's how societies, that's how polite societies are actually built. What's going on right now with the, the, the prosecution of these uh, cake bakers and florists and photographers, stuff like that, is anything but polite. It is anything but polite, Okay. Furthermore, in a society of voluntary association, courtesy, respect, deference, and politeness become the social norms over time. And those who fail to act in such ways towards others, no matter how some of them might feel inside, are faced with possible social ostracism or criticism for their bad behavior. This reduces those individuals' chances for attaining their own goals and purposes for which they need the cooperations of their fellow human beings. And he has another article, Free Markets Refine Good manners and they do they do a case in point when i worked at the tool rental when i got out of the navy um usually they were still folding up the paperwork from renting a piece of equipment and walking out the door and i either had the piece of equipment out the door and ready to load it in their vehicle or it was already loaded up i gave them service and guess what that went a long way in the in this in the tool rental and that's a service industry 
And that really went a long way. And we, you know, I helped establish a st second store for this uh, particular owner of this tool rental. And it did, matter of fact, we were out doing, in a couple months, we, were, we had higher sales because it's a bigger traffic area too. We had higher sales within a couple months than the original store because of that. And people saw that. They saw that I was courteous to them. I didn't care what their skin color was or religion or anything. They were, they were bringing me money to rent a tool that I had. And then they were going to bring up this voluntary exchange. They're going to bring that tool back. And, you know, if they had a deposit, I was going to give them their deposit back and all that kind of good stuff. Voluntary exchange. And it behooved me not to treat people in a, in a bad manner. Because if I did that, we wouldn't have a business. I wouldn't have a job. That's common sense, folks. All right. He goes on to talk about the origin of rightful property and its justness and, and I that's a good read to go down through there. He talks about private property and the source of wealth and civilization, which private property, real quick here, private property, if you have your own property, you can monetize that. You can borrow money against that. Now, I have a house that we only owe a little over $30,000 on, but in its present state, which we're actually getting a new roof on the house here in a couple of weeks, uh, beginning of December, uh, as soon as they get a three or four day window in the weather, uh, and it may be sooner, but we're, you know, we're maintaining the house, putting a roof on it, put a gutter system around the house. Uh, but the house with the new roof and gutters on it and stuff is worth close to $100,000, if not more. But I wouldn't put it much more than $100,000 because of the basement. But anyway, so I have $70,000 of equity in my house. And if I wanted to, I could sell that house, take that equity and do something else with it. That's how private property works. And that's how it actually, if, if I didn't own this house, I couldn't sell it and, and realize the profits off of it. But again, somebody, somebody in that society has to own those physical goods. And if it's the government owning those physical goods, then only the government can benefit from the sale of that or the usage of that. You can't. And, and then what do you care if you're living in a government-owned building? What do you care about the repairs or anything in that building? It's not yours. It's not going to benefit you if you upkeep your apartment or upkeep the house that the government owns. If they want to come in and do it, that's fine. But what is it to you? He goes on to talk about the division of labor and other labor base uh, are placed before us. You know, I can't make everything I need in this house by myself. That's called the division of labor. They have other people that can do these things, and then they sell them in order to be able to, they sell the light bulb that they're creating in order to support their family, just like the cake baker, the candlestick maker, whoever, computer makers, stuff like that. I can't make everything that I actually own and use in my house. That's called the vision of labor. And then, like, the guys come in to do the roof. I, I'm not physically able to do that anymore, so I'm using other people's labor to get something done on my property. That's called the division of labor. I want to get down here towards the bottom. Um, let me see where that is. I highlighted it over here. It's kind of hard to highlight it over in the... Um, okay. Down towards the bottom of this uh, reading. And this is the part right here. The capitalist system generates the industrial framework and incentive structure that leaves everyone free as an individual to live his, own, his or her own life, enjoy his or her personal liberty, and use his or her property, private property, as is 
peacefully. But that that very institutional framework and incentive structure of voluntary association exchange is an emergent network of interdependent divisions of labor created the setting in which it became in everyone's self-interest to primarily focus their knowledge, skills, and abilities in their production activities to satisfy the self-interest wants of others as the means to advance their own goals and purposes in society. Where then is the exploitation of the workers? We're going to talk about Marx here real quick. Where is the exploitation of workers by the consumers in such a capitalist society? Where are the incentives or capacities for raping the environment or hurtfully discriminating against people on the basis, say, of gender or race? What avenues are open and available for the less well-off due to birth or circumstances to better themselves and raise a relative income and social position in the community of humanity? In systems that are controlled by the government, fascist, socialist, communist systems, the Marxist systems, folks, that are out there, there is no means other than through government cronyism can an individual within the law, I'll say this, within the law, better themselves. And when you have a, a socialist communist country, black markets emerge. And then people get rich off those black markets. When you have prohibitions on things, especially prohibition on private property, and you can't better yourself legally, some people go outside the law and, and start creating black markets. Now, five things Marx wanted to abolish besides private property. This is by John Miltimore. One of the remarkable things about the Communist Manifesto is honesty. Karl Marx might not even have been a very good guy, but he was refreshingly candid about the, candid, candid, excuse me, about the aims of communism. This brazenness, one could argue, is backed or baked into communist psyche. The communists disdain the, to conceal their views and aims, Marx declared in his famous manifesto. They openly declare that their ends can be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. Let the ruling classes tremble at a communistic revolution. Like Hitler's Mein Kampf, readers are presented with a pure, undiluted vision of the author's ideology, dark as it may be. Marx's manifesto is famous for summing up this theory of communism with, with a single sentence, abolition of private property. But this was hardly the only thing this, the philosopher believed must be abolished from the bourgeois, the, the bourgeois society in the proletariat's march to utopia. In his manifesto, Mark highlighted five additional ideas and illustrations of, for eradication. One, the family. Marx admits that destroying the family in a, is a thorny topic even for revolutionaries. Uh, abolition of the family, even the most radical flare-up at the most infamous proposal of communism, he writes. But he said opponents of the idea fail to understand the key fact about the family. On what foundation is the present family, the bourgeois family based? On capital, on private gain. In its completely developed form, this family exists only among the bourgeoisie, uh, he writes. I may be pronouncing that wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty close on that. Best of all, abolishing a family would be relatively easy once uh, bourgeois property was abolished. 
the bourgeois family will vanish as a matter of course when its complement uh, yeah its complement vanishes and both will vanish with the vanishing of capital individuality Marx believed individuality was uh, antithetical to the egalitarianism he envisioned therefore the individual must be swept out of the way and made impossible individuality was a social construction of a capitalist society and was deeply intertwined with capital itself in bourgeois society capital is independent and has in and has individuality while the living person is dependent and has no individuality he wrote and the abolition of this state of things is called by the bourgeois abolition of individuality and freedom and rightly so the abolition of bourgeois individuality bourgeois independence and bourgeois freedom is absolutely aimed at so the these guys that say they're not that they call themselves communists they do not understand what that communism all entails eternal truths mark did not appear to believe that any truth existed beyond class struggle the ruling ideas of each age have ever been the ideas of its ruling class he argued when the ancient world was in its last throes the ancient religions were overcome by christianity when christian ideas succumbed in the 18th century to rationalist ideas Feudal society fought its death battle with, with, with the then-revolutionary bourgeois, bourgeoisie, I should say. Uh, Dave, I didn't know that Christianity succumbed to, to real rationalistic ideas. Uh, someone, forgot, someone forgot to tell me, folks. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Hang, hang on, sorry, back up one. He recognized how radical this idea would sound to his readers, particularly since communism does not seek to modify truth but to overthrow it. But he argued these people were missing the larger picture. <sighs> Undoubtedly, it will be said, religious, moral, philosophical, and judicial ideas have been modified in the course of historical development, but religion, morality, philosophy, political science, and law constantly survived this change. There are, besides eternal truths, such as freedom, justice, etc., that are common to all states of society, but communism abolishes eternal truths. It abolishes all religion and all morality instead of, uh, or, excuse me, instead of constituting uh, them on a new basis. It therefore acts in contradiction to all past historical experiences. What does this accusation reduce itself to? The history of all past society has consisted in the development of class uh, antagonisms, antagonisms that assume different forms of, at different epochs. So there's no moral standards, there's no truths or anything like that in communism. This is what Marx wanted to get rid of. Wanted to get rid of nations. Uh, communist, uh, communist, communist, Marx said, are reproached for seeking to abolish countries. These people fail to understand the nature of the politarity wrote, the working men have no country. We cannot take from them what they have not got, since the politariat must first of all acquire political supremacy, must rise to be the leading class of the nation, must constitute itself the nation. It is so far itself national, though not in the bourgeois sense of the word. Let me stop the reading there. I know he might get into it even further down here. But it always develops into that. You always have the ruling class, whether it is the revolutionaries 
that are fighting against the bourgeoisie and, and capitalists and stuff like that, somebody's going to rule. And this is, let me back this up even further, and this is where the libertarian thought actually, the, the anti-state libertarian thought actually t breaks down because their hope is that everybody is a good actor. Libertarians think this. Everybody's a good actor and we'll all behave ourselves without some type of, of government to, uh, you know, uh, make sure contracts are being adhered to and stuff like that and, and, and uh, actually punish evildoers. And even Romans chapter 13, God understood this principle and he, he, through the inspired apostle Paul, put forth this principle about the state. And the founding fathers recognized this, especially uh, John Madison in the Federalist Papers, said if men were angels, there would be no need for government. There would be no need for the Constitution. But men aren't angels, okay? Um, furthermore, largely because of capitalism, he saw hostilities between people of different backgrounds receding. As the politarian grew in power, there soon would be no need for nations, he wrote. National differences and, and antagonism between people are, are daily more and more vanishing owing to the development of the bourgeoisie, uh, to freedom of commerce, to the world market, to uniformity in the mode of production, and in the conditions of life corresponding thereto. And also, he wanted to do away with the past. Marx saw tradition as a tool of the bourgeoisie. Adherence to the past served as a mere distraction in the politarist quest for emancipation and supremacy. In bourgeois society, Marx wrote, the past dominates the present. In communist society, the present dominates the past. And this is where, this last one here about the past, this is where we're at with a lot of the anti-freedom folks in this country. In America. I'm just going to deal with America. This is where we're at. Uh, and matter of fact, probably in most Western societies, this is where we're at, and this is the struggle we're having. The past ended yesterday. We don't want you to go back and look at the founding of the country. We don't want you to go back and look at the Communist Manifesto. We don't want you to go look at the failures of communism, socialism, fascism that are in the history books, that are, that are laying on the ash bin of history. So the past doesn't matter. And that's, that's exactly what they try to, to uh, anybody that I've dealt with that's in the anti, what I put in firmly in the anti-freedom column, including my Facebook antagonists, they don't care what happened in the past. They, they, don't, they don't care. That doesn't, that doesn't have any, any bearing on what's happening today, and it absolutely does. Because if we forget the past, we are doomed to repeat it. And, and what's happening now is they are forgetting the past. We're not. They're forgetting the past, and they're repeating the same mistakes in the past. And I can tell you what, I have one more article here I want to read, and we'll, we'll pick up on the other one about the, the study about freedom of speech. We'll, we'll talk about that on Free for All Friday tomorrow, okay? This is another article over at FEE.org by uh, Yuri N. Uh, Maltasev, The Staggering Toll of the Russian Revolution. Russian President Vladimir Putin would like to ignore the Bolshevik Revolution, which marks the, uh, its 100th anniversary this month. Putin reportedly told his uh, advisors, and let me look over here real quick here. Um, this was written uh, November 2nd. This was posted up on November 2nd. So communism in Russia is celebrating a 100th anniversary, okay? 
Um, Putin repeatedly told his advisors that he would, it would be unnecessary to commemorate the occasion. He knows better. It's nothing to be proud of. It began with the revolution of 1917. Lenin's coup on November 7th, 1917. So we're coming up on, in a, in a few days, five days, we're coming up on the 100th anniversary. Opened a new stage in human history. The horrors of 20th century socialism of Lenin, Stalin, Hitler, Mussolini, Mao, and Pol Pot were the offspring of the 1917, 70 years earlier. Marx and Engels predicted the overthrow of bourgeois rule would require violence and a dictatorship of the proletariat to weed out remaining capitalist elements. Lenin conducted this weeding out using indiscriminate terror as Russian socialists before him had, had done and others would continue to do after his death. The late uh, Randolph Rommel, a demographer of government mass murder, estimated the human toll of 20th century socialism to be about 61 million in Soviet Union, 78 million in China, and roughly 200 million worldwide. Uh, and just just to real quick here, and I didn't see the stat down there, Popot, I have a population of 7 million people, killed 3 million. Almost, uh, almost half. Almost half the population, Popot. Uh, 200 million worldwide. These victims perished during state-organized famines, collective, collectivism, cultural revolutions, purges, campaigns against unearned income, and other devilish experiments in social engineering. It is monster, monstrously, in its uh, monstrosity, this terror is unrivaled in the course of human history. Lenin's coup on November 7, 1970, the, the day uh, Kerensky's provisional government fell to Bolshevik forces, opened a new stage in human history. A reign of public slavery, collective, collectivist economic planning led to coercion, violence, and mass murder. Marx and Engel had defined socialism as an uh, as a abolition of private property. The most fundamental component of private property, self-ownership, was abolished first. So you weren't, under communism, you don't own yourself. The Marxist's biggest targets have always been the family, religion, and civil society. Institutional obstacles to the imposition of the omnipotent state. With the Bolsheviks in power, Lenin set out to destroy them. Murder of children became a norm after he ordered the extermination of Tsar Nicholas II, his wife Alexandra, and their five children. Millions of families were rounded up and forcibly relocated to remote and uninhabited regions in Siberia and Kazakhstan. Hundreds of thousands of children died of starvation or disease during their journey into exile and were buried in mass unmarked graves. 1935, Stalin introduced Article 12 of the USSR Criminal Code, which permitted that children aged 12 and older would be sentenced to death or imprisoned as adults. The law was directed at the orphans of victims of the regime based on the belief that an apple never falls far from the tree. Many of these kids whose parents had been jailed or executed were commonly known as uh, Bezperzorni street children. They found themselves living in bare, dirty cells and and savagely violent gulag where they were mixed with dangerous criminals and were brutalized and raped by guards and common criminals. The Soviet Union was the first state to have as an ideological and practical objective the elimination of religion, or in other words, physical extermination of religious people. With Lenin's decree 
of January 20th, 1918, nationalization of the church's property began. Cathedrals, churches, church grounds, and all buildings owned by churches were looted, and valuables, gold, silver, platinum paintings, icons, historical artifacts were either stolen by communist atheists or sold to the West via government agents. Com <laughs> That's funny to me there. I'm going to finish that paragraph and I'll come back and tell you why. Communist sympathizers and fellow travelers such as American business tycoon uh, Armin Hammer, who met Lenin in 1921. They, instead of just destroying the stuff, they were participating in capitalism, getting rid of the stuff out of these churches. Do you see the irony in that? And I bet you they didn't redistribute that wealth to the people. Anyway, to be religious often meant a death sentence. The goal was the state's absolute monopoly over thought by means of a secular religion, socialism. Almost all clergy and millions of believers of all traditional religions were shot or sent to labor camps. Uh, seminaries were closed and religious publications were prohibited. Marxism, Leninism pretended to be scientific socialism, the universal explanation of nature, life, and society. However, deviations from its ideology, especially traditional bourgeois science, was punishable by death. The scope of the persecution of scientists was a real genocide, an abject failure. After 74 years of mayhem and misery, the Bolshevik Revolution failed. The biggest country on earth with abundant natural resources of all kinds could not meet the basic needs of its citizenry. The system had no means to rationally allocate resources in the absence of property rights and the market institutions they rely on. Ideas have consequences. From my own life in the Soviet Union, which ended the same year that Vladimir Putin reported on the collapsing Berlin Wall uh, for his KGB bosses, I can attest to the truth of Austri Austrian economist Ludwig von Mises' statement that socialism amounts to a revolt against economics. Yes, socialism still has sympathizers in the West. Many Americans believe that socialism is good, whereas communism, fascism, and Nazism, national socialism, are violent and anti-democratic. A public opinion survey published last year proved that general assumption, 43% of respondents younger than 30 had a favorable view of socialism, only 32% had a favorable view of capitalism. This is a powerful warning. The anti-capitalistic mentality has brought suffering and mass murder in all socialist countries and has reduced standards of living and the quality of life in mixed economies. The Soviet Union is now gone, as are the huge statutes of Marx and Lenin that littered the East, but ideas have consequences, and no body of ideas attracted a greater following than Marxism and Leninism. A Russian aphorism says the only lesson of history is that it teaches us nothing. For too many people, this is a true as ever. And this is that, that Russian saying, the only lesson of history is that it teaches us nothing. The, this is why Marxism seeks to destroy history. And this is why our students, our kids today, aren't being taught these things. They're absolutely wallowing in their own ignorance because they don't know any better. All they're being taught is socialism is good, socialism is okay. But, they, they're, but they're never taught how do you get rid of the bourgeoisie society. How do you get rid of those who own private property? in order to bring about your socialistic ideas. How do you force people to accept something from the government and they don't want it, i.e. the ACA, Obamacare, 
how do you go to a single-payer system without stealing the labor from doctors and nurses? You don't, and you have to do it by force. And, and folks, even folks close to my age, my, my most ardent Facebook antagonist just shared something this morning about, you know, we need to go to single health payer right now because people deserve it. You know, that is a, that is a Marxist-Leninist idea, and it's never worked. And, and the thing is, we have modern-day examples of how socialized medicine is costing their governments an arm and a leg, and it, it's not working. It's not giving them the level of service we had before Obamacare. And Obamacare has literally almost destroyed our health insurance and health care system in the United States. Uh, and I do thank God for this, that, that somebody like Trump got in there that wasn't thinking along the same lines as Hillary Clinton or Obama and is trying to repeal. And I, I, I keep telling him, quit trying to replace the darn thing. Just repeal it, add a couple common sense laws about the portability. You know, we can buy insurance policies across, the, across state lines. You can do that through the authority of the Commerce Clause. And you'll see that our system will go back better than what it was before. Get rid of all the government regulations on it. Let the industry regulate itself. And we would have a world-class health system here that would cover everybody and cover it cheaply than the government. Because think, folks, real quick, a little lesson here. Think of the government like the mafia. And the, and the mafia wishes they were like the government. But think of the government like the mafia. Every time... Some money goes through a department. They got to get their vig. They got to get their cut, and that's why everything's so much more expensive when it's done through the government than it would be through uh, capitalism or the free markets. And for me, the free markets and cap the term capitalism is interchangeable. So when you in the future, when you have somebody come up and tell you, especially a youngster, that socialism is the best way to go, and you capitalists are just destroying the earth, you need to set them straight. You really need to set them straight, and you need to take them back in the history books and tell, show them exactly what uh, the Marxist Manifesto talked about and what uh, the Lenin's revolution uh, did to Russia and for 70 years oppressed a, a whole nation, uh, especially, especially religion. And they need to be shown history because they're not being taught history now because that's one of the tenets of socialism, that, that history doesn't matter. You don't learn any lessons from history. And the reason why communists, socialists, and fascists don't want you to look at history is because you can see history and see how much of an object failure, or an abject, object, whatever you want to call it, how, how, how much of a miserable failure the system actually was. And so, again, folks, I just, I can't drive this point home. Now, tomorrow's Free For All Friday. And we're going to talk about this support for free speech eroding because this goes into what we're talking about with our country, with capitalism and Marxism. In, in Marxism, uh, and, and uh, you know, part of the title up here, freedom and tyranny. Marxism is a tyranny, and, they, and a tyranny cannot allow free speech. A tyranny cannot allow dissenting ideas or different ideas than what you have. Uh, socialists hate that. Uh, that's why these social justice tyrants out there, when you uh, bring about facts and truth out to them and you stick to them, you stick to them, they just get totally upset because you're not listening to them. It's not that we're not listening to them. It's that we've saw their arguments. I've read them or listened to them on YouTube or podcast or read them in a blog. I've, saw, I've seen their arguments, and they're found wanting. 
And if they're found wanting, why would, why would I want to adhere to those arguments or those ideas? It's just like Christianity. And I'll end the show here. I, I was raised a Catholic. And a couple friends of mine in the Navy turned me around. And when, I, and when I became baptized in Jesus Christ and was exposed to the New Testament and started reading the New Testament, especially with an eye to Catholic institutions, I, I looked back over that experience and when I compared the New Testament to, to, to Catholicism, I found Catholicism totally wanting for any authority, any scriptural authority. So why would I want to stay with that failed religious ideology? The same token with economics. Why would I want it to, we have 70 good years, 70 good years of why communism and socialism doesn't work. We have 70 good years, but it has to be taught. It has to be taught. We have to teach our kids the truth about history. We really, really do. We, we really, honestly, folks, we need that more than anything else. We need to teach our kids about history. It's just like, just like Christianity. We got to teach our kids about Christianity, and we got to teach our kids the proper role of God and Jesus in our lives through scriptures, through the truth of the scriptures. Well, folks, that's the end of the show. Fear not, I'll be back with you tomorrow noon for Free for All Friday. This has been the Dan Clements Show. I'm your host, Dan Clements, your constitutional warrior member. If you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. Have a great rest of the day, folks, and God bless. And again, we'll see you tomorrow.